You can open your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. That's on page 13 of the Pew Bible. I'm going to be reading verses 18 through 23. Matthew 13, starting in verse 18. Oh, sorry, verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful." As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Bow for prayer. Father, you have brought us safely through another week by your grace and by your power. You have preserved us and you have kept us. You have held us in your hand, Lord. You have, by your mercy, yes, you have plugged all the holes in our boats. You've sustained us in a world that is confused and chaotic, a world that despises you and increasingly seems to despise each other. You have called us, O oh Lord, to be different, to, to live a different kind of life in this broken world. And you have given us your word. We need your help, Lord, to hear your word rightly and apply your word faithfully. So would you please come and minister to us by your Spirit's grace, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want, us, I want us to begin this afternoon by noticing something that is said in verse 19 of the text that was just read. This is a parable, our Lord says, about how we are to hear and respond to what he calls the word of the kingdom. The word of the kingdom, the seed that is sown in this parable is the word of the kingdom. Now, that in my mind raises a question, what is that word? Obviously, it begins with everything that King Jesus, the one who is Lord of the kingdom, everything that he ever preached and everything he ever taught 
is the word of the kingdom. But it goes, it goes beyond that. If you study the Gospels, if you study the Gospel of Matthew itself, you will see that there are many times, as many as 20 times in the 28 chapters of Matthew where Jesus quotes all the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, uh, and refers to them as the Word of God or quotes them as the Word of God, which means that Not just the words of Jesus, not just the red letters in our Bibles, but all the words of Scripture are the word of the kingdom. If if you want the word of the kingdom, you need to pick up your Bible and read. This is the kingdom's constitution. It's the kingdom's bill of rights. It's the kingdom's and the king's manifesto. The the Bible is the word and will of the king. It is the word that the king has spoken that is to be followed and is to be obeyed and is to be honored and is to be loved by everyone who is in his kingdom. The Bible is not the word of a mere teacher or a spiritual guru or a fallible prophet or a mere rabbi. It is the word of the king. King Jesus has spoken and it is recorded for us in the pages of Holy Scripture. What this parable in front of us does is confronts us with two questions about this word of the kingdom. Number one, do we believe, really and truly, do we believe that the Bible is the inspired and the perfect word of the kingdom of God? Do we believe that? Do do we believe that this book is God's book? This book is God's word. But there's a second question that at one level may be even more important. Do we function as if we believe the Bible is the inspired and perfect Word of God? It is one thing to say we believe that, but it's another thing to answer rightly the question, are we functioning as if the Bible is the Word of the Kingdom? Are we living as if we are under authority? Are we living as if we really believe that the king of the galaxies has spoken and his word is law and what he says we must do? Is that the conviction that rules our lives? As we have moved our way through the Gospel of Matthew, we have already heard King Jesus talk to us about many different aspects of Christian character. He's talked about humility and repentance and gentleness and righteousness, mercy, peacemaking, persecution, name-calling, anger, sexuality, sexual behavior, looking with lust or desire upon someone who is not your wife or your husband. He's talked about gender, divorce and remarriage, integrity, how to treat your enemies and those who treat you unjustly. He's talked about giving and religious rituals and prayer and fasting and money and worry and uncharitable judgment and the cost of following him and our need to love sinners and the call to be fishers of men. He's, he's talked to us about loving him, the king, more than we love family itself, defining 
for us what true justice is, showing mercy, practicing Sabbath rest, being ethnically impartial, guarding every word, believing in and fearing the reality of hell and of judgment. He's talked to us about all these things. So here's the question. When what I think or what culture thinks about any of these things differs from what King Jesus thinks about any of those things, who wins the argument? Who is king? Whose word, whose opinion, whose perspective is law? That's the question we have to face. Do we believe that the Bible is the word of the kingdom? And do we function as if we believe that? That's what the parable of the sower and the four soils is about. We saw last week that it is possible to appear to be hearing the word of the kingdom and not to be truly hearing it at all. In fact, that's the point of the parable. That there are these four different soils, but only one of the four actually bears fruit, which means that the other three, though they appear to be hearing, are not really hearing at all. It's possible to appear to be hearing the saving word of the kingdom of God and not be hearing it at all. And then the second truth that we began to look at last week was this. The condition of our hearts affects the hearing of our ears and the fruitfulness of our lives. The condition of our hearts affects the hearing of our ears and the fruitfulness of our lives. I think I've shared with you before, I'm not sure, um, the story of Dr. Uh, David Jeremiah, uh, who was, uh, has been a TV radio preacher for, I don't know, 40 years at least. And back at least 20 years ago, uh, he had a battle with cancer. And while he was uh, battling with the cancer, they took his program off the air. Uh, and then several months later, once he was in remission, uh, he, they restarted his program. And uh, so his, his messages were being broadcast uh, in a fresh way. And he began to get letters back from listeners saying things like, Dr. Jeremiah, your, your preaching is so much more effective and so much more powerful now than it was before your cancer. And we're just thanking God for how God has used the cancer in your life to, to develop in that way. And the irony of the situation was that the messages that were being broadcasted were recordings of messages that he had preached before his cancer. What does it say? The condition of our hearts affects the hearing of our ears and the fruitfulness of our lives. What had changed was not Dr. Jeremiah. What had changed was the listener. The listeners had become more sympathetic, more empathetic, more interested, more caring, and as a result of a change in their hearts, there was a change in their listening. 
This is the point of the parable of the sower, that the condition of our hearts, what's going on in here, will determine how you hear and how you live. So, that raises the question, how do we condition our hearts? Or how do we cultivate our hearts so that we can hear the word of the kingdom and understand it and apply it and bear fruit in our lives? Wouldn't you say that's the important question for us here? How do we do that? And can I suggest that from this text, uh, I can find at least eight habits, habits of the heart, spiritual disciplines, whatever you want to call them, at least eight habits of the heart that we need to practice in order to condition, in order to cultivate good soil in our hearts so we can rightly receive God's word of truth and bear fruit. I'm not going to linger long on all of these, but I want you to hear them and may God, by His grace, give us ears to hear. Eight habits of the heart. Number one, number one, we need to actually hear the Word. We need to actually hear the Word. I know this is stating the obvious, but if we observe those who profess the name of Christ in our generation and in many generations, it may not be as obvious as it might think. You might think. The reality is, if I'm going to hear God's Word in my heart, I need to hear it with my ears. I need to actually be in the place where the preaching of the Word is happening. Imagine if the disciples in Matthew 13 had decided to stay home that day and had decided they didn't need any more preaching. They would not have heard the Word. We said last week it's possible to hear God's Word in the physical without hearing it in the spiritual. Right? But let us be sure to understand that you can never hear God's Word in the spiritual unless you hear it in the physical. You must hear the Word of God. One of the most important spiritual disciplines, brother, sister, my friend here this afternoon, one of the most important spiritual disciplines you will ever cultivate, you will ever develop in your life is a consistent attention to the preaching of the Word of God. You cannot grow without it. You cannot bear fruit without it. I was struck, I've been struck many times through the years. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching or preaching. Devoted to it. Read on a little bit more. They met every day, every day, to hear the preaching of God's Word. Do you realize that that means they heard more Bible preaching in one month than many of us here in a year? They were hungry for the Word of God. They were hungry for the teaching of the apostles, which was simply the teaching of Christ. They longed, as Peter put it, for pure spiritual milk of the Word that they may grow up into salvation. We must be present when the Word of God is preached. We must be. We must be. Consistently. 
diligently, faithfully, with hearts that are eager, coming ready, coming prepared. Uh, the last couple of weeks during most of the singing worship, I've been up in the balcony uh, because, well, my head hurts. And sitting down here uh, can increase the pain significantly, especially when I'm preaching. So I go up where I'm a little further removed. Uh, but one of the, um, one of the uh, effects of sitting in the balcony is seeing how many of you come late. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, folks, I, I've done this once before. Let me do this again so that nobody thinks I'm looking at you, okay? I'm going to turn in this direction. All right. We prayerfully plan our Sunday worship so that every part of the worship in one way or another, expresses God's truth, the truth of the kingdom for our hearts. When you miss any part, you've missed a vital part of the meal. We encourage you, we plead with you, don't just aim to be on time. Aim to be here early so that you can Become ready to hear God's Word. Make this a discipline of your life. Number one, we need to actually hear the Word. And I know for me, just as a side note, my hearing of the Word is affected by the singing of God's people. It's affected by the praying of God's people. I do not feel ready to preach. I do not feel ready to hear unless I've shared with the body of Christ, with the church of Jesus, with those who are fellow citizens in the kingdom of God, unless I've shared in the worship and in the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us come consistently and let us come early. Number two, we need to cherish the gift of hearing. We need to cherish the gift of hearing. We've seen this in chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. Keep your Bibles open. Jesus says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, this is amazing, this is amazing, listen to this, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. That is an astonishing statement, brothers and sisters. Do you know what it means? It means that when we hear the words of Christ, when we hear the words of Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, both the prophets and the apostles, we actually hear more truth than the prophets of old did. We know more about Jesus, more about God, more about the kingdom, more about the gospel than Isaiah did. I mean, this, is, this ought to just blow our minds. Sometimes we look back to the, the heroes of the faith and say, oh, I wish we could have lived back there. And No, they were saying, we wish we could live up there. Oh, they longed. They longed to hear 
what we hear. We know more than Isaiah, more than Jeremiah, more than David, more than Solomon. Because we have Jesus and His words and His teachings and His expositions of all that the prophets said. They find their fulfillment, their glorious fulfillment in Christ. This, this our Savior says, has been given to us. We need to cherish the gift of hearing. It is an unearned opportunity, an undeserved blessing for us to hold in our hands what Paul the Apostle calls the whole counsel of God. All that God has revealed in written form, we hold it in our hands. It is an unearned opportunity, an undeserved blessing, and we should cherish it with all our hearts. Number three, we need to pray for true hearing. We need to pray for true hearing. In verse 11, Jesus says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And if it has been given, if it is a gift, then it makes sense for us to pray that our Father will give us more of it. I think of Matthew 7, verse 7 through 11, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Is it a good thing to ask God to give us true hearing? Is, is that a blessing? Is that a good thing to be able to hear and understand and take in the Word of God? Then let us pray that our good and kind Heavenly Father will pour out that gift more and more on us with each passing day. The psalmist prayed, Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things in your law. Every time we read the Word, let us pray, oh God, give me eyes to see and ears to hear. Every time we study the Word, oh Lord, make me understand, in the words of the psalmist, the way of your precepts. Every time we hear the Word preached, let us pray before we arrive, and let us pray when we arrive, and let us pray while the preaching is going on, and let us pray after the preaching, Lord, open my eyes that I might see wondrous things in your law. Number four, we need to cultivate hearing hearts. We need to cultivate hearing hearts. That's what verse 22 is about. As for what was sown, Jesus says, among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. The Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke add two other 
thorns and weeds that choke the word, the, the lust or desire for other things, and pleasures. These are those thorns, these are those weeds that grow up around what looks like a little plant that's been uh, planted by the Word, and these thorns and these weeds choke out the life and the fruitfulness of the plant. And Jesus is saying we need to cultivate our hearts by weeding our hearts of anything and everything that will choke out the Word. We need to pull out the weeds. We need to pull out the weeds every day. We need to realize that the cares of the world, and that's not necessarily bad things. It can be paying the bills and dealing with sickness and painting the house and running errands and, and, and you know, saving up for vacation and educating kids and paying for college. I mean, just the, the list can go on and on and on of those things that, that we take into our life, not all of which are bad, many of which are good, but which we obsess over, things that we are anxious and worried about, and those things choke out the Word. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, we buy into the lie that if we will have just this one thing more, if we could buy just this one thing more, then we would be happy. It hooks us every time. And the deceitfulness of wealth, or as Mark puts it, our cravings, our lust for other things, the passions of our flesh, the stuff we watch and the stuff we listen to and the music we, we listen to and the, the garbage that we put into our minds and into our hearts and we indulge this stuff, Jesus says, that chokes out the Word. And so, my brothers and sisters, we must be those, if we would be hearers of the Word, we must do some serious work weeding our hearts. We need to take stock of our own lives and aim, aim to be pulling out the weeds. And this is a daily chore. It's a daily chore. Every day of life, Lord, what is in my heart that's cluttering things? What are the anxieties? What are the cares? What are the worries? What are the pursuits, Father, that are choking out my time alone with You, my time alone in Your Word, my, my time to grow spiritually? And we need to pluck those things out, pull those things out, day after day after day after day, or else Jesus' warning will come true in our lives. These cares, this wealth, these lusts, those pleasures will make it so that we bear no fruit. Number five, we need to expect intentional anti-hearing activity. We need to expect intentional anti-hearing activity. What does Jesus say? When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. We, we, need, to, we need to take this seriously. We need to expect 
that there is an active anti-hearing activity, commitment that Satan makes every time you and I hear the word. He will never sit by passively and apathetically when the Word of God is preached. He never will. Either he directly or one of his minions or one of his ploys and his techniques, one way or another, he's coming after what you're hearing right now. And he is going to do whatever he can do to snatch it away. And if we're not aware of that, if we're not attentive to that, then we will not guard our hearts from his attack. Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart with all vigilance, for out of it flow the issues of life. Brothers, sisters, if you don't consciously, deliberately guard your heart from the enemy's attack, the Word of God will bear little or no fruit in your life. You'll hear a thousand sermons and be almost completely unchanged. You'll hear the best of preachers, not this one, the best of preachers. And your life will be unmoved and unfruitful because the enemy will seize every opportunity to snatch it away. We need to expect intentional anti-hearing activity. Number six, we need to seek understanding. We need to seek understanding of what we hear. Understanding is essential to fruit bearing. Notice verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields a hundredfold, sixty and thirty. We need understanding. But my friends, understanding won't happen automatically. It won't happen through some kind of spiritual hocus-pocus. In order for us to have understanding, we need to seek understanding. Remember, that's the point from last week. That was the point of Jesus starting to speak in parables. Because he had this massive crowd of followers, and he looked at it and said, the crowd's too big. They clearly don't understand what I'm preaching. And so he started preaching to them in riddles and parables in order to test their desire for understanding. And what happened? They walked away. But the disciples, the disciples, verse 36, he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable. We want understanding. My friends, do you want understanding? To understand God's Word, to take it in, to receive it. Those who want it will seek it. Those who really want understanding will seek for it like treasure. They'll seek for it like silver and gold and hidden treasures. They'll search for it. They'll look for it. They'll ask Jesus for it. Jesus, I hear your Word, but I don't understand what you're saying. Please help me to see it. Help me to see it. 
Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That is the mark, God says in His Word, of true nobility. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the Word with all eagerness and then examined the Scriptures. How often? Daily. To see if these things were so. Hunting, searching, mining for understanding. This is what we need if we're going to hear and bear fruit. Number seven, we need to count the cost of hearing. We need to count the cost of hearing. This is Jesus' point in verses 20 and 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, hasn't counted the cost, The word just makes him or her happy, makes him feel good, hasn't counted the cost. He has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Jesus is up front with us. There's no bait and switch with Jesus. Tells it straight. He tells it true. He says, look, if you're going to really hear my words, there's going to be a price tag attached to it. You're going to face tribulation and persecution. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We need to count that cost going in. Jesus makes this very clear in Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, verses 25 through 33. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Unless you are willing to take my word as law, and unless you are willing to follow me in obedience no matter what the cost, you cannot be my disciple, Jesus says. You cannot be a follower of me. You cannot say I'm a Christian. 
have to be willing, he says, to renounce everything. That doesn't mean that we all go home and sell everything that we have. What it does mean is that we renounce ownership rights to everything we have. It does mean that we renounce ease and popularity and selfish affluence and apathy and the cares and treasures and lusts of this world in order to have Jesus because he is worth it. Number eight, we need to know that doing is part of hearing. We need to know that doing is part of hearing. That's the point of verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The proof of real hearing is in the harvest. The proof of real hearing is in the harvest. Fruit is a metaphor for doing, for obedience, for holiness, for sanctification, for growth in grace and in character and in likeness to Jesus Christ. Who is the man, Jesus said in Matthew 7, who is the man who builds his house upon the rock? What does that man do? He hears these words of mine and does them. Does them. Part of true hearing is doing. Be not, be doers of the word and not hearers only, is how Jesus' half-brother put it in the book of James. We must do what we hear. Our process of hearing is not complete until we are doing what we've heard. So I want to encourage us here um, in the process of hearing all of those eight steps all the way to the doing. All the way to the doing. Stephen, Joanne, Burak just recently came up with a little half sheet. You who are parents of children in Promise Kingdom maybe have seen these. They are, they are review and application questions and uh, things that you can take home with your child and through the week review what they learned in Promise Kingdom. What a wonderful gift. What a, what a blessing. Thank Steve and Joanne when you see them. All right. What a gift. And what a, what a habit for us to get into. You who are heads of households, you who are leaders in your home, can I exhort and encourage you to, to carry these eight steps all the way through to the end? Um, when you've heard the word preached, go home this evening or tomorrow or sometime this week and and ask, ask here, here's three questions you can ask. What did we hear? What did we hear? What, what did we hear from God's Word on Sunday? And then ask the question, so what? What difference should it make in my life? Why does it matter? How should it matter to me? 
and then ask the question, now what? What am I going to do right now with what I've heard? Illustration, example, we have heard that we need to pull the weeds out of our heart. We need to cultivate our hearts, get rid of the cares and the deceitfulness of riches. So, folks, what we all need to do at some point in the next day or two or three is to stop and ask ourselves the question, what kind of weeds are in my heart? And what do I need to do to yank them out so that God's Word can bear fruit in my life? You get it? You understand? This will not happen without intentional commitment to it. There is one who is always intentional whenever God's Word is preached. And he's the enemy of your soul. We must match and surpass his intentionality with the power of the Spirit of God. Folks, Jesus is worth it. He is worth it. You're sitting here and you're saying, wow, if that's true, Tim, then my whole life of sermon hearing has been a practice of sin (laughs) because, man, I haven't heard God's word like that. And guilt may pile on and condemnation may pile on and you may say, oh, woe is me. Is there any hope for me? Oh, there's hope for you. Because Jesus got it right perfectly. And Jesus died for all the sermons you never applied. And Jesus bled on the cross to wash away those sins. And Jesus says, if you come to me in humble repentance and faith, you're forgiven of it all. And I'll give you my spirit in your heart who will help you pluck the weeds. And he and his fruit will be born and harvested in your life. Jesus doesn't come with the heavy fist of demanding things of us without grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. So let us be sobered and let us be comforted at the same time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, speak to our hearts by your Spirit. Please, Lord. As Samuel said way back when, speak, Lord, for your servants here. We want to hear your voice, and we want fruit in our lives. Amen.